Garcia. And I'm Adriana. And you're listening to Undercurrent, a podcast complementing the Undercurrent art space at 70 John Street in Brooklyn. We are still in quarantine. Please stay safe, everybody. I'm coming to you from the Bay Area. And Mosir, have you left your apartment yet? Yes, I have left the apartment. The Riverside Park is nice and quiet and great. <laughs> um, but Undercurrent is closed and has been closed for a while now. And We'll let you know. I suppose you can go to the website, undercurrent.nyc, to find out when it reopens. But in the meantime, we still have some more content for you. On March 7th, Gila Penn sat down with Tom McGlynn, an artist and the editor-at-large at Brooklyn Rail. What's Brooklyn Rail? The Brooklyn Rail provides an independent forum for arts, culture, and politics throughout New York City and far beyond. Personally, I go to the Brooklyn Rail for all of the art reading I do, I think they have really good writers there, and I think the work that they do really kind of promotes community within the arts, which is kind of can, can feel rare in New York. So, How do they promote that community? Uh, through artist talks and honestly just through who they have on their team and who they choose to highlight, you know, for, you know, arts in New York City, people maybe who are underrepresented or you know, don't have the high profile as other artists do. I think they do a good job of kind of interplaying that with other artists. Excellent. So before we get to uh, Gila and Tom talking about Gila's work, you told me you were there at the talk and you told me you loved it right afterwards. Can you tell me how come? Yeah, um, I thought Tom was a great moderator and I thought they just had such a natural conversation. I really enjoyed talking to her or hearing her talk during and then also talking after with her about why film noir was such a is such a huge um, proponent proponent of her work um component like why were you so interested in the film noir aspects of it i unfortunately wasn't able to interview her with you a couple it must have been like a few months back now um and so i really wanted to talk to her about like all sorts of film noir that I watch or I read, particularly Mildred Pierce um, is such a really good example of film noir and what it kind of represented as a generic structure of the time in terms of kind of the idea of uh, the, the, the heroine or the hero kind of fragmenting psychologically, but as they do that, eventually finding themselves in trickier, trickier situations in terms of the trappings of capitalism. I think that was a huge theme of the time. Yeah, I think connected to me because, especially with her epistolary series, it just, it was such an interesting take on kind of not only fragmentation of being, but fragmentation of materiality and what that means in terms of it representing a portion of the whole. Yeah, the notes on Clarissa piece definitely puts forward this kind this fragmentary nature and it shows it shows the fragmentary nature of the novel itself in the sense that it's an epistolary novel, but it also is made up of fragments of Gila's previous shows and itself is presented or was hung up on the undercurrent walls in a kind of shattered way that gave the sense that at one point this was all a whole. Exactly, yeah. And now it isn't. And then you asked a question during the during the talk about culture and memory, and that was also a question you gave me uh, to ask Gila when we did the podcast interview last month. So I was wondering 
why that was so important to you. It's hard during those group talks to like articulate exactly what you're trying to ask the person. I mean, it can be <laughs> kind of a high stakes situation in terms of, you know, translatability and everything. But I was trying to ask her, not in so much as it relates to politics or a political memory, but just even materiality and how like the, you know, synthetic materials she's working with, how they bend, how they apply to one's touch, what that means if there's a indentation of a human, you know, on the material, but also just cultural memory and how when we look at these materials or, you know, when people have come through the gallery, they're like, oh, this reminds me of blank. And so there's this, you know, semiotical connection with what we recognize being sort of abstracted or taken out of context. So I guess I was wondering if that had any connection. What about its relationship with your own work? Can you talk about how memory and the past show up in your own, in your work? Yeah, in relation to my own work, I tend to work less with materiality as much as Gila does. I really admire it, actually. I, I don't think I think quite in those in those ways. Um, but how I work is combing through online archives, physical archives, you know, Library of Congress, searching for just things that catch my attention. I mean, usually I'll have an idea or a feeling and I'll kind of follow that. And it's really serendipitous in the way that it can manifest. But I think myself collecting fragments from a whole or pieces from a whole narrative is really interesting to me. If archives are like sculptural or structural components, how can one collect things that don't really fit into that? The miscellaneous of sorts, I guess. And I think it manifests itself in old family photographs or government mandated photographs and etc. There's still an element in in those photographs of something resembling like an immigrant's journey or the movement of or, or fleeing something that does tie in with uh, with what Gila's always, or at least the two times it's come up, the, the kind of subject matter of her own familial history, which she says she's adamant that her work is not actively about that sort of past and about that sort of memory, but it's hard to say that it's that it doesn't play a role and it doesn't uh, appear in the work, whereas in your work it's... No, I totally, I totally agree. Um, and I, I didn't want to ask her about those things because, you know, you, at a certain point you have to respect if someone's saying it's not a part of it, but the way I saw it was like these structures that she's or these beings that she's constructing out of a wide variety of materials kind of spanning sometimes from wall to wall or in other exhibitions I know she does them in the corner it it the sense it gives me is like the underpinnings of society or the maybe the there has to be a better term but the elephant in the room of maybe trauma or memory or something that maintains throughout or like the the maybe the the rejection of that could be its build up in materiality do you know what i mean but uh what you were saying about fragmentation earlier 
also, and the way, especially in the notes on Clarissa, uh, it reminds me a little bit of like Daniel Liebskin's plan for the Jewish Museum in Brazil, or sorry, the Jewish Museum in Berlin, which is Liebskin sort of designed it in a way so that it's a fragmented, or not exactly fragmented, but radically deformed uh, Star of David. But when you, but the building itself is slashed the windows look like cuts or scars and it's it's very much about the sense i got when i visited was that it was about the complete shattering of a community and that's very much what the museum is about too is about the fact that there was this community that had established itself in germany and was a central part of the of the german experience for a thousand years or whatever and then just got it's being wiped out was through this through this motif of shattering and you get that in like Kristallnacht you know with the idea of the night of the broken glass and through these other kinds of angular moments of fracture and of dispersion basically that's a really really good point yeah so while you know it it may be tempting to carry that over and overread Gila's work that way it's it's still also something that, that jumped out at me a little bit. I, I totally agree. Yeah. We'll leave you, dear listener, to the talk with Gila Penn and Tom McGlynn. So I, I just want to say thanks to Gila for giving me the opportunity to, to be here today. And uh, we, I, I, I went over... Um, Gila's uh, country house, or actually their house, uh, yesterday. Yesterday, uh, by chance, I was I was driving that way, and we had a long conversation about how this might play out. And one one idea that I, actually I should I should own it. I came up with it. Uh, if it doesn't work, it's mine. <laughs> uh, but uh, we thought that it might be interesting to start with questions. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean we won't end with questions, but uh, uh, if you have any questions, if you've seen the show, or if you've come to the opening, and you had some ideas that you wanted to just put out there to kind of uh, prime the discussion, um, we'd welcome them. So we're kind of inverting the process of questions at the end. And uh, so if anybody, yes? Um, I'm there, I'm interested in the idea of time and movement in your work. If those are elements that you think about maybe in the foreground or you could talk about that. Um, I think there, there, there are both in the work. Um, I think in terms of the installations, certainly the way the viewer's eye roams across um, the installations involves both time and movement, it's, a, it's experiential and you're walking from point A to point Z. Um, in terms of the, this collage series, Clarissa, um, which is an epistolary novel and it takes place over a period of some months. So there's, of course, a time element there in the, um, the evolving story of a woman, a young woman's 
seduction and violation. Um, I'm very interested in, in film um, as well as fiction. So I think one reason I am kind of tied to the wall is because um, of growing up watching movies. So for me, in a way, walls are, um, resemble screens. So um, I, I think of the, you know, I think that kind of illusion is important in the work and keeps me kind of, um, you know, on the walls rather than in the space. Or, um, and so. we, I'm sorry, and we were having that discussion uh, about the relation to film in your work and, and the term montage, uh, where, you know, there's all sorts of different cuts and fade outs and uh, in a time-based media like film, montage has one function and that in, when you have discrete works of art, the montage is, is kind of implied. So you're not, you know, you're not, the, the time is, the, in, the intricacies between the discrete works of art is there, uh, but it's not necessarily uh, filmic. Right. So there's, there's a, a correspondence, a transposition of the idea of time between discrete works of art. Yes, and I think this is something we also touched on, was that um, there is an element of, or it's a thread really through all the work, which is parts to the whole, so that this kind of, um, the kind of the notion of montage works in that kind of idea as well, I think. Yeah, and I, and I, I brought up uh, in, in our email exchange the, the term lenform, Mm -hmm. That's like a, a, a term that uh, George Bataille used to describe uh, the formlessness of certain surrealist operations. And um, you weren't sure about that term because it basically means formless. And, uh, but I think I brought it up because there is this relationship of parts to the whole. And Historically, like in the art world, there was a, a show at the Pompidou in 1996 that was organized by Rosalind Krauss, Meyer Shapiro, and Yvon Lambois, and it was called L'Enforme, and it was kind of an anti-formalist. It was, it was a response to Greenbergian formalism. And so it was, there, there, are, these, there are these dialectics happening in the art world between the whole and parts, and sometimes they get they get uh, um, politicized in a way, mm -hmm. and uh, <clears throat> sometimes the whole is for better or worse associated with the status quo. And the whole would be like you know, uh, in, in the instance between Rosalind Krauss and, and uh, Greenberg, who was her, her mentor, um, he would he would go for like the you know the wholeness. And, and her reaction formation, if you want to use like, you know, Freudian terms, is, is fragmentation. Mm -hmm. but, but she would also go further and associate that with um, um, like a feminist. Uh, she wouldn't necessarily overtly say that, but I mean, there was an association that it's a reaction to um, 
the, the hole that might be repressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I think the, the fragmentation is, um, is essential, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not sure if, the, if it can be associated with, with feminism or, um, I, you know, it's, it's just a visceral sort of organic way of looking at the world that I have, I think. Right, that's why I qualified it. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that either. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but these things get picked up, and uh, you know the work, the work, your work and other people's work gets contextualized, like someone like Rachel Harrison, who is you know uh, um, somebody who uh, is an amalgamator mm-hmm. of parts, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and like that. And yeah. So um, that's a good. And the other, the other thing that we also discussed uh, was um, the abject in relation to parts, and, and the abject being the process of being cast off, and, and the fact that your, your work is comprised of, of cast-offs, mm-hmm. but then they're, they're reconstituted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you had, you had made the allusion to Frankenstein. Which yes. I which I really liked, and I think it's it's apt. I mean, it's not that I'm thinking specifically of Frankenstein, but I think it's a good it's a good illusion. Yeah, um, I mean, I I think there's, you know, there, I am, sort of always concerned with these kinds of dualities, so that so that there, there is as we said a kind of aggressive forward kind of um, stance in these pieces but but since they're made from very quotidian materials they're you know it, it has that abject quality and and uh, for me it's necessary to have both for either to be interesting or or relevant and that that kind of could tie back to like a, an idea of form versus formlessness because when, like the idea of frontality is aggressive, yes, right, and and in 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 the Greenbergian formulation, not to harp on him, but like the idea of frontality and flatness was was couched as a formal term, but like it can also be couched as kind of like a you know a, a, an affect, mm-hmm. like aggressive an aggressive aspect mm-hmm. affect, mm-hmm. which you know in a cliche sense m- would be associated with the male. And again, I, 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 you know, I qualify that by saying th- these are cliches that are associated with, uh, with that. Um, but that, you know, the formal painting of like the post-painterly painters was all about frontality, all about flatness, and this kind of like, you know, there, there's, there's a there there, but it's like this aggressive, in-your-face kind of frontality, and like, no, don't, don't ask any questions. This is it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like. A, Presentness is grace, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, does anybody else have a question? I think Adriana had a question. Uh, first of all, congratulations on a beautiful show. Thank you. Um, your work, to me, almost connotes like a runoff or the dark underbelly of synthetic uh, modern modernity. So I'm wondering how much or how so like the discarding of cultural or material memory um, resonates with you and your work. So, um, 
I think there are a few, a few elements that are that relate to that. One is that um, my personal background, as you know, my 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 parents and my brother um, were Holocaust survivors. So even though the work is not about that and doesn't in any way um, is not a narrative of that, um, it's it informs me on some level. So there's that. Um, in terms of the materials, uh, I'm attracted to these materials really not in any, um, not in any kind of politicized or, 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 or a social construct. I mean, they're materials that uh, transmit light in interesting ways. I like garbage bags because I can manipulate them. I like materials I can pull and stretch and tear. Um, I just do. And so, and I think they're evocative. I think that um, we, we touched on this a little bit, that I'm, I'm not interested in a literal narrative in my work, but, but I am interested in the way abstraction can sort of embody a kind of narrative. So it can transmit something. It can be theatrical or forensic or whatever, but there's something it's elusive, but there's something there that I like, and I think these particular materials are good at conveying that kind of uh, affect or, um, yeah. So I, it's not, there's no commentary really on, there's no intentional commentary on the post-industrial world, although I'm happy to hear it. Hear that if you think it's relevant. <laughs> I mean, maybe we maybe we could talk about the Clarissa series in regard to that question. If a novel is like a a kind of an analogy of memory, mm -hmm. you know, um, that mm. the epistle I can't say the epistolary epistolary. <laughs> <laughs> The epistolary novel is composed, composed of fragments of multiple perspectives. So each one of those people has a, a dis, it's like a Rashomon, you know, each one of those people has a different witnessing. Yes. And then the, and the, and then the whole makes up the memory of that book, right? But the memory is not, it's dispersed. So it's not, again, it's not a whole, it's not a whole memory. It's like this dispersed memory. And, and that would correlate too with like trauma and, 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 the, and the Holocaust. Because one thing that was terrible about the Holocaust was that the subject was made an object. You know, the people in the concentration camps were made objects. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the, the really horrible thing was they weren't in control of their own deaths. Mm -hmm. Not that we are anyway, but you know, you know the, the, the self, the final form that they were to take was under somebody else's control. Mm -hmm. So I think to some degree the artist, any artist, is enacting a response to, not necessarily trauma, but they, they, they have ideally control of the final form. They maintain control of the final form. So in relation to the Holocaust, we talked about this too, that there's the, you know, the idea of epigenetic memory 
that epigenetic memory, uh, it's the concept that memory goes through generations. And that, I, and I, I, I was, I was uh, privileged to write an essay about uh, Gila's work a couple of years ago for a show at uh, uh, Muhlenberg College. And, and I mentioned that when it got to you, you know, your, your generation, you're in the process of reformulating that memory. Just like in trauma, what happens when something is traumatic, the memory gets kind of cut short or fragmented. There's also a period of like reformulating that. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't put too fine a point on like the, you know, the, the representational relationship of that to your work. Right. But I, I do think that that's how, um, there's a lot of artists here. I think, I think we understand that you know, we, we have all these different experiences and, and some, of the, some are subliminal we don't know about and that uh, it comes through in the work. It's just not a representational reference, right, you know. Exactly. So memory is is there, you know. Memory is like really there, and uh, so the weird thing about the continuity of memory in like postmodern situation is like, you know, uh, supposedly in postmodernism there's a, a break, you know. But our, I think I think there what a lot of artists do is they they're about continuance, they're about a continuity. Um, so, and, and getting back to the novel, I think um, it's interesting because, uh, I mean, you, talk, you talked about um, in relation to the meta subject, which is Clarissa, which is this person who's being looked at from all these different witness positions uh, as somebody who's kind of seduced and um, abandoned or something, uh, or violated. violated. So, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's very hard for me not to make that leap to, and I'm, I'm playing the devil's advocate here, but to, to like a feminist uh, take on uh, fragmentation. If all these different people are, are all these fragments are witnessing this memory in a different way, mm -hmm. that um, what becomes of the subject? So what becomes of the subject is also related to the abject, because the subject is, you know, yeah. not in control of, they're not, they're, they're cast off, they're not in control of their environment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I mean, the other reason, um, the other thing that's fascinating to me about Clarissa, about the novel, is that <clears throat> it's an 18th century novel, and with more than 500 letters by primarily four principal characters. And they're, the things that they discuss in the novel, aside from the actual moment-to-moment -moment occurrences and um, the story of this woman, is they talk about everything. And, and it feels so modern. It's very, they, I mean, you would have no idea they're not contemporary characters. They have such clear and lucid ideas about class, about money, about relationships, uh, they're self-reflective. So um, at the same time that, you know, this woman's life is kind of disintegrating, there's still time for them to talk about all this stuff. So, so um, that's, that's also, 
kind of fascinating. So would that be the corollary, like the societal gestalt? You know, like are they are they trying to reassemble the societal gestalt, and she's just like kind of like the subject they're projecting on top onto, or? I don't know if does that's she, I haven't the, read the book, so does, yeah. she, does she write letters also? She does. Okay. She writes. She writes. You know, many of them. I mean, more. And how more does the author that. use her voice, like in relation to all the other voices? Is it is it a counterpoint or? She's just. Um, I mean, she's the heroine mm-hmm. of the novel, definitely, but she. Um, uh, you have great sympathy for her because she's in this impossible predicament that is placed on her by her family initially, and also by this libertine who's crazy for her, but is not a nice fellow. So, um, so she's, she's really the, yeah, she's the heroine of the novel. Um, and all these other characters are, in one way or another, acting upon her fate. And she does what she can, but, but yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't really know exactly how to put it in terms of that societal construct. Um, well, it sounds I don't know a lot, what the intention It sounds like a lot of 18th century novels where there's this, you know, the rate's progress, you know, like the, there's this, this process of at the end of tragedy. Yeah, know. I think the difference with this novel is that it's more psychological. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of self-reflection and there's a lot of um, understanding of how people relate to each other. Is is that, um, so the psych, is that the part that seems modern, like the psychology? Yeah, I think so. That's part of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and also of course, you know, with, all the Me Too, Me Too stuff going on. I mean, right. that's the obvious connection, yeah. And we, and we talked, um, not to keep on referring to our, our prior discussion, but uh, we talked about the device of the author using, <clears throat> the, the author using all, like ventriloquizing, ventriloquizing his voice through all these different people. And that's kind of like a distancing device, but it's also very, it's this artificial thing. Like he, 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 we talked about the transparency of the artist's aesthetic. Like the, the novel was kind of groundbreaking, I take it, because it, it wasn't just, it wasn't written from the author's point of view, but the author ventriloquized himself through these people. So, I mean, it's kind of very modern in that regard. Absolutely, too. yeah. And I think, I mean, as we're talking, I mean, it seems. It, it, it does feel like it's a kind of collage in itself, right? Because you have all these letters and these characters and, you know, the elements of this story. And so the, the author is kind of, well, it's another parts to the whole kind of Right, and I, I, I do, system. I think it's important to, like, you know, bring it back to the work, too, because the work are, you know, they're assemblage of, of, of parts. Yeah. And uh, using the title is just a way in for the um, the viewer. Uh, I, I understand that, you know, but but there's also the element of you rephotographing some of your old work that we touched upon in our in our preparation for this. Yes. So in, if if you if you <coughs> haven't looked closely at the Clarissa series that 
or if you're not familiar with Gila's prior work, there's photographs of her previous work. In addition to cutting up those photographs, there's photographs of those photographs that are... So it's, it's similar to what the author's doing in making the device transparent. Like you're quoting yourself. You're ventriloquizing yourself in a way. Right. Right. Reformulating, cannibalizing. Yeah. So what is that, like, what is that... Um, what is that impulse, do you think, for you? Um, I think it's a way... Um, I think it's a way of trying to f trying to re trying to figure out what you what you're doing in a way so that re refashioning these images helps you see kind of what they're made of and what the installations were about and how cutting them up and putting them back together again in these very different ways um, sort of renews renews that installation and your work and regenerates it and and gives it new life, kind of. Another question, Karen. Just exactly related to what you were just discussing, and then which one of you said something about being self-reflective? Oh, the book, the women were being contemporary, you know, self-reflective in All some ways. All the characters. Ways. Characters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that a way in some ways, it sounds very self-reflective. You do, just what you just described, cutting up photographs of your previous work and sort of questioning what, what it's about or what it is or things like that. Do you see it that way? Have you thought about it like that? Um, I think it's, it's sort of a fun way of, of doing that. It's a way, it's a way of generating more work and by using images of my previous work, it's um, a kind of exciting way to do that and to see how that can be reconstituted and how you can go forward um, using the same materials in the collages that I use in the installations. So it's this kind of, you know, um, this kind of weird vertiginous thing and re repeating thing that you're, that you're doing, replicating in, in these different formats. So um, I think, I mean, these were really great fun. That was, that was pretty important with doing this series and um, and it's only you know I think most of us as artists or maybe I'll just speak for myself but I don't I don't always know I mean I very often don't know what I'm doing until after I've done it so this this is kind of a nice way of you know sort of being able to look at that um, and working the way I work, but then being able to sort of reflect on it a little bit and um, have fun with it. Karen, do you want it? Oh. No, that's okay. Okay. Just about it. Go ahead. Hi. Um, Gila, sort of piggybacking on this, I was wondering if you could discuss your process. I mean, I understand this idea of not being clear or having certain clarity, but not having everything spelled out and it occurs in the moment of working and there's more clarity at the end. But if you could just talk, I'm super interested in process for all artists. And so if you could 
talk a little bit about how you get to the studio, how you start the work, how it progresses, what happens when you run up against um, sort of a, an unknowing moment. Sure. Um, so these pieces, the stele pieces, which refer to these slabs, you know, these ancient slabs that were used as burial markers, they were used as for texts on buildings. Um, so many of the elements of these pieces are uh, remnants or um, components of previous installations, of recent installations. And I love doing installations like I did in the stairwell, but I wanted to have, I wanted to try to do more pieces that would be around for a while instead of, you know, rolling everything up in a box and then nobody ever asking you to reconstitute this giant installation. So, um, so in the process, um, and you know, it's, it's hard to describe because it's all very organic. So um, I think this verticality is something that's, that's been threaded through my work for many years in more conventional drawings and later in you know, these, these kinds of pieces. Um, so I work on them very much the way you'd work on a drawing or a painting. They're, they're just, they, I just happen to use found materials. Um, they're, they're materials I become interested in for the kinds of, the way they can hold the wall, the way they curl, the way they, you know, make certain gestural kind of actions when they're hanging off the wall, like that red piece sort of. Um, and so, um, yeah, so that's, that's, how I, that's how I work on them. I mean, really, for me, it's the same as working on a, a painting or drawing or sculpture. I, I, the, the thing that's, uh, I, I think the thing that's attractive for me now with these works is that I can have the, these discrete pieces, but there's still hybrids of drawing and painting and installation and sculpture. And um, I'm, that's where I'm more, I'm most comfortable in these, you know, these interstices between these um, disciplines. So um, yeah, does that answer your question? So you almost answered mine too, but um, I, for me, there's a figurative element to all of these, which you mentioned in your title, but I'm curious about how you were thinking about that. They, not, they're not just vertical, but they seem to have appendages and they seem to have legs sometimes, or I'm wondering how you think about that as subject matter, or is it just incidental, or? Um, it, it, it kind of happened. Um, it's, it was not, it was not intentional. Although I think that I'm, you know, there, there will be a kind of gesture, a kind of moment that strikes me. And so I'll, I'll move on from there. I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think these are really more figural than other things I've done, but, um, it, it really just sort of happened. I, I don't know why. Um. It reminds me of the Barnett Newman zip. 
mm-hmm. and, and how that's an abstract. Uh, in his writings, he would refer to that as a, a stand-in, for lack of a better word, for man. Mm-hmm. So the vir heroicus sublimus is like those zips are analogous to the viewer in the field. Mm-hmm. And, and he's very clear about that, but he's very clear about that it's not representational. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but you know, there's also like when you think about like, you know, like, like Kundalini and like, you know, the, the Kabbalah, like the, the vertical kind of orientation of um, substance mm-hmm. and, and, and the symbolic representation of energy. Uh-huh. It's not just <clears throat> a puppet or something. I mean, it, it has this kind of like the vertical energy has a certain kind of tradition and power. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And as uh, we were, as we were saying, I mean, I, I um, there there is a satisfaction for me in making these kind of monumental you know, pieces, these figural, I don't even want to say figural, but anyway, these, these monumental structures that are made from almost ephemeral materials. I mean, they're not really, but they're actually kind of, you know, they're polyester, they're plastic. I mean, they're going to be around for a while, I hope. You can tell me more about that, Karen. But, um, but, uh, but there, but there's almost, it's almost gives me a kind of gleeful feeling. Like, you know, I'm doing these really big things and then I can take it down and put it in two little boxes, relatively little boxes. So that's satisfying. I don't know what that is exactly, but I like it. it makes me feel it's, good. It's what gets the work done. Yeah. Hila, um, I would like you to talk a little bit about the fact that there's a very organic quality to your process and to the resulting works, but the materials are, are all man-made. Yeah. So they're, they're almost opposing yeah. conversations. So um, when I first started making sculpture, I was using, um, I, I started by using hair. Um, sim- real hair initially, and then synthetic hair. And so, and they, by using these organic materials, fairly organic materials in this particular way, the objects I was making seemed very fetishistic. And I really wasn't going for that. It was just a sort of device for mark making for me then. And so as I've been going along, it's not that um, my approach hasn't changed that much, but I realized that when I use these synthetic materials, I can use them in, a, in the same way. I can work with them kind of in the same way, a very visceral you know, manipulation. And they don't have that... Uh, association. I'm not, I really don't like that, the organic kind of quality in those earlier works. It's not, um, it, it was too, it was somehow too in your face, too literal, not what I was going for. So I'm more interested in the elusive kind of um, thing that happens with these synthetics. And also, as I said, you know, as you know, Doreen, the way light is you know, goes through them, reflects from them, you know, um, between them. Um, Sorry? 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of related to um, our discussion of Frankenstein and and trauma because uh, there's a certain point in the book where Frankenstein is much more eloquent about humanity than humans are. And it's because he's made up of these... He's made up of organic parts, but he's kind of like fake. He's like this fake human, right? So he's man. He's literally man-made, even though it's made up of organ, organic parts. So it, it forces the it forces the um, the pathos. It, it, it forces the. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't. It's not a direct correlation, but but him him uh, interrogating the human as a, as the non-human. Uh, is kind of like the ideal medium, medium, right? Because it's it's and and this is related to trauma too. Because being abjected out of society or, or uh, like he was, uh, it creates a cognitive dissonance between subject and object. He he didn't know if he was a, a human subject or just an object, you know. So. So the man-made, he was literally man-made, which would correlate with the object. And the organic, would, which would correlate, in this analogy, with the subject. Mm -hmm. uh, since they're, since they're, they're in, in uh, contention, they force that narrative to come out. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's, it's a very moving narrative, because it's, it's almost like this pure pathos. Because yeah. he doesn't have, he doesn't have the, the societal backup for that. He's, it's just a pure pathos. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it is, it is heartbreaking. And it, it's, it's funny because it makes me think of um, how um, uh, European filmmakers who came here after the war, I mean, or, or during the war, I mean, um, Hitchcock, Douglas Sirk, those, those, so the other, the stranger comes to this country and basically shines this glaring light on what's happening in not their culture, right? In this other culture. And, and has kind of a clearer view of, of really what's sort of the underbelly of, you know, America, post-war America. No, it's a great, great point. Yeah. American directors say. So I, it's just funny that way. I mean, there's nobody like Cirque for you know, interpersonal relations and cultural and social, you know, conflict and craziness. And you could say the same for someone like Robert Frank or um, Nabokov. Yeah. Like right. they're, they're the best, <clears throat> the best crit critics because yeah. they have this objectivity. Uh, but there's this love-hate relationship too, you know, there's like a, there's a, an attraction and repulsion so there is an attraction and repulsion in, in your work when you, when, you, when you realize that, you know, these are little bits of a garbage bag. I mean, what could be more abject? It's not even like, the, it's not even a container anymore. It's like a ripped up container, you know. It's like when you walk down the street and you see a skunk, you know, ripped up a garbage bag, you know. Um, <clears throat> but I, I love that film analogy, too, because... Uh, like the birds, for instance, it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of like what's happening with the coronavirus right now. <laughs> it's, uh, and, uh, and maybe like uh, Rod Serling's The Monsters Are Due on Main Street, I think that's the name of it, mm -hmm. where the, the hysteria is kind of ginned up and then, uh, but, it, but it, 
it, it serves the function of revealing the humanity yeah. and, and the fallacies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I th the, your point about, you know, the, these kind of bits and pieces and of the garbage bags and the staples and um, I think if they weren't, if they weren't, if there weren't these other blingy bits of, you know, optical plastics and kind of, you know, really kind of gorgeous metallic sort of stuff, um, that they wouldn't, it wouldn't be as compelling. I mean, that, that or as moving, maybe. And those are the new bits, right? <clears throat> like the blingy bits? They're all new bits. Yeah. I mean, I don't use used garbage bags. But I, I mean, I, I think you, I think we were talking about, I think we were talking about um, like the introduction of color as being newer. Oh. I, I, that's what I was referring to. Yeah, yeah. The, like the, say like this one right behind you, the red and the yellow. Yeah, I'm, I'm treading delicately with the color thing that's mm -hmm. a new just it's really more punctuation at this point because mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not so comfortable with color so do you think the color is more symbolic or phenomenal F for me phenomenal okay yeah all right i mean consider, well, considering the sources maybe they're on the hinge because yeah, considering maybe. the sources it's like for me, they feel like, you know, what used to be Canal Street, like, you know, like those bins with just like this, this hodgepodge of like materials. Um, so they're symbolic of their sourcing. Mm. Uh, when I think of yellow and red, I think of like blood and, and you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have a problem. The reason I'm, you know, I, I mean, I admire all you painters tremendously because I just I I can't seem to deal with color in a way that's not that doesn't strike me as being decorative so that's that's why I'm very tentative with it and um, so reds are good and you know trying a little yellow and, you know. I mean I've, I've heard uh, William Kentridge say the same exact thing. Oh, really? Yeah, he's not a colorist. <coughs> and he feels that color is, is a digression and it and takes him away. So it's really about uh, the artist's sensibility, you know, um, inherent sensibility, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, did you, did we, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to develop more of this uh, cinema idea and montage and collage, like your, the distinction and the differences because uh, if I have it correctly, these were parts of a larger installation. So you do, I mean, the expandability and contractability of the work. Um, how set are these particular arrangements that you have here in your mind as far as this installation goes, or does it get reconfigured next time? So these, these are set, with the exception of a little tweaking. So um, these, you know, I, I did these in the studio. I... I measured spaces, you know, I mean, they were really calculated. And um, when I came into this space, because they're to some extent responsive to this space, you know, I moved that vertical element up a little higher than it was in my studio. So, so I leave a little bit of room, but basically they're, basically they're set. Um, they won't be, these won't be reconfigured into an installation. These are, yeah, 
These are their own things. Um, and the and you know they're also not all exclusively from former installations. I do incorporate new things. I do bring in new elements, and <clears throat> we just found a fabulous um, materials goods place, fabrics place near us, and they have you know wonderful things. So I've gotten a bunch of stuff there. <laughs> so <clears throat> I'm open, you know. But yeah, these are these are done. The the stairwell installation is really um, I had I had worked that out in my studio, but that changed. I would it changed a fair amount because of the of the stairs. When I got here, I I moved things around and and played with things a good deal more. Yeah. Um, I want to say that I really, uh, I don't get so much pathos from these. I get a much more, I would say, a buoyant feeling. A um, feeling? A buoyant, uh, uh -huh. uh, upbeat, gestural. Oh, I mean, I didn't really see <laughs> the materials like staples as being cast off. I saw them as more being um, used, uh, you know, inventively, whatever is to, to hand. And I feel like these are kind of in a tradition of, um, of work that, I don't have a feminist reason for it, but that I think of a lot of women. I think of Judy Pfaff. I think of Jessica Stockholder, some people in this room maybe, but just that this way of working, of putting together what's around you. Um, uh, anyway, I see it as just a, yeah, I get a real you. positive feeling from it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad. And, and I do too. I mean, I, I, I think it's kind of, for me, it's kind of all there. I mean, I see, I mean, obviously I want these things to be, pieces that people like looking at, you know, they're not, they're not meant to depress you <laughs> at all. But, but I guess we're just sort of parsing, you know, some of these, yeah, I mean, some of these influences. And there's elements. different levels of pathos. <clears throat> pathos doesn't have to be a tragedy, you know, pathos could be <clears throat> sympathy. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, it's true. I, you know, I, I, I thought of Hannah Hawk, you know, like a really early uh, Dadaist, Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, it's it's all about you know uh, interrogating the status quo. You know, it's like uh, th those Dada collages, and hers are particularly active. Uh, and and also um, the least easy to assimilate. Her hers are very aggressive. Mm -hmm. Hannah Hawk Hannah Hawk's uh, uh, collages, but they are ebullient too. It's, it's like the revolutionary power of women's laughter. Um, I forget where that comes from, but mm -hmm. um, there was a show that uh, Nancy Sparrow and, and I think uh, Barbara Kruger were in in the 80s called The Revolutionary Power of Women's Laughter. And uh, so, there, there, yeah, the ebullience could be activists. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, uh, fraught. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as we're talking about sort of my, you know, kind of my background and, and the kind of, um, the kind of uh, anxiety that I've sort of 
grown up with as a result of, you know, my family's history and stuff, that that, that that in a way informs the work. But I think it's also, you know, it also sustains the work in a good way. I mean, um, I, I am, I am uh, using these things to make work that I hope is compelling and pleasing and, you know, um, so it's, it's a, it's a way of, you know, it's about transformation, right? So, so it's a way of, um, it, it, it's kind of a, we're, we're talking a little bit about sort sources, I guess. Um, but, um, but the result of the pieces, of course, I want to be, I want them to be strong. I want them to be, you know, I want them to be compelling, powerful, joyful, all, all of it. I want it to be everything, ideally. I have a question. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> do you have a drawing practice? Um, I don't, really. Um, I mean, when I was, uh, earlier installations, I would do sketches. Um, but I find that it's not, um, it's not useful for me. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's working in the studio and working up an installation or at least the, <clears throat> the fundamentals for an installation is the way I draw on the wall with these, with these things. And then, um, they are adjust very them in situ. They're very great. I mean, I'm looking yeah. at this line here. It's a very jarly. Like, yeah, I used to draw a lot. I uh -huh. mean, I, I have a ton of drawings, but I, I, don't, I don't really draw anymore. I mean, now I do this. Right. There was a, a, a show of, um, <clears throat> I think this relates, there was a show of um, Eva, Eva Hesse's work, uh, drawings, uh, last year at uh, Levi, Levi Gori, and I think it was Levi Gori. Anyway, it was interesting how they, they, they weren't really, uh, a lot of them were just kind of like ideations. Like they weren't, they weren't robust drawings. Right. They were like, just like the germ of an idea. So she used the drawing as a, not a, not, not a preparatory sketch, but um, as a way to just like notation. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't do any of that, or? Um, very, very little. Um, sometimes, um, Stephen likes these drawings that I do sometimes after I finish a piece and I'll do a drawing and mark dimensions on mm -hmm. them and they're very rudimentary and kind of cartoony and um, he's fond of them. Exquisite. <laughs> <laughs> but I, no, I don't, <clears throat> I don't work through, I don't work through things that way anymore. That's interesting because I, I remember um, my advisor at Hunter, Bob Swain, being perplexed by uh, finding out that Tony Smith did the drawings after the sculptures. You know, and uh, it's different. You know, it's I like asking that. questions before a question and answer. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. but, but it's interesting that, because it's like, yeah, it's like this, it's not traditional. It's like, it's not the study. <clears throat> Do you think that makes for a more spontaneous process? 
I mean, I don't want to hammer this, but you know. Yeah, I I don't know. It's just it's just now at this point, just the way I work, and it's the most efficient and effective way for mm-hmm. me to work. It gives me the most um, the the most pleasure and the best results, <laughs> basically. Uh, just a little observation. I'm. I'm taken with the serendipitous confluence of a little bit of metallic, uh, the relationship of the light, uh, the way the air is moving, and the way a viewer happens to be seated, right, or standing to view it. So from where I'm sitting, I'm looking at this fabulous piece, and I'm seeing what looks to be a light, a light bulb, and so there, it seems to be electrified, mm-hmm. and. Um, are you, are you think, how are you thinking about the viewer in this and all of those other elements that inevitably happen uh, in a setting, like air moving and the placement of light? It's all, it's all comes into play when I'm working, absolutely. So as much, hopefully, pleasure that you get from that yes. air movement and that little bit of stuff moving, I, it's the same for me. Absolutely. Anybody else? <clears throat> Was there anything that you wanted to cover that we didn't? I can't really think of anything. <clears throat> um, well, I, I, anything? I mean, uh, do you want to wrap it up? Uh, do you think that's an appropriate... Uh, <clears throat> Of course, I, I should. I want to. I want to thank um, Dinah and Laura and Julius for uh, giving us the opportunity to have this conversation, and of course the opportunity to do the show here. And thank you so much for coming. Really appreciate it. So that was Tom McGlynn and Gila Penn. And thanks for listening. As always, you can find out more about Undercurrent at undercurrent.nyc, which includes links to Undercurrent social media profiles into this podcast's archive. We're also on Instagram as undercurrent.nyc. Please leave us a review, like, and subscribe to the podcast. On behalf of Undercurrent and 1984 Products, I'm Adriana. And I'm Wasir. Until next time. Until next time. Until next time, dear listener. In the meantime, do not fall prey to traffic and the traffic. Alright, bye! <laughs>